Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now, the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, welcome to another edition of our post game reaction podcast here on NasenBrew.com. As always, I am your host, Anthony Broom, and rejoined with me, someone who I feel like I haven't talked to in almost a month because, quite frankly, it's been that long since the Army game, since we chatted. Trevor Woods is back. Uh, Trevor, before we get into our takeaways from a 52-0 drubbing of Rutgers, uh, mind you, I'm just going to say this right off the bat because this is going to be the response to all of our content this week. It's going to be the response to anything positive or negative we have to say. People will say, it's Rutgers. Listen. I know. It's Rutgers. There, let's get it out of the way. You can kind of just throw everything we say with an asterisk on it that, yes, it is Rutgers. We understand. Let's continue. Trevor, welcome. Oh, it's great to be here. It has been a while, and it's, it's felt like more than a few weeks since the Army game. The game in of itself against Wisconsin felt like an eternity, but hopefully, for Michigan's sake, yes, it was against Rutgers, but maybe this was the beginning of turning the corner, so to speak. Well, if you have any chance of salvaging this season, and mind you, like, the season was not, you say salvage the season, that suggests that it's over. It's not over, but the the margin of error is, you know, quite a bit smaller than it was before because you go into the rest of the year now with a loss in Big Ten play, and another one probably knocks you out of the Big Ten title hunt. Uh, with that being said, if you, there's any chance that you were going to turn this thing around, you kind of had to come out today and play a clean game, play a decisive game, and quite frankly, blow out a team that has no business even really being in the Big Ten, uh, to put it quite frankly. And for the most part, I thought Michigan did that. It was 
clean from the start, decisive from the start. They were up 14-0 before a lot of people really even got into their seats uh, in Ann Arbor. Um, and they didn't let up the rest of the day. I mean, at times you can be nitpicky and say, oh, I didn't like the clock management near the end of the half or didn't like the play calling or, you know, I wish Shea Patterson was better here. I wish they made a stop here and there. Listen, 52-0 is 52-0, uh, regardless of who it is. And it's the last the last uh, shutout they had was when they beat Rutgers 78-0 a couple years ago. So this is kind of a, uh, in some ways, maybe a bookend game or a, a throwback game. But, you know, you have to start somewhere. And, and we knew coming into this week, after what happened at that Wisconsin game, their resolve was questioned. Their, quite frankly, their manhood was questioned. Their toughness was questioned. Their fight was questioned. And I think it was a wake-up call in Ann Arbor. And you heard it in Jim Harbaugh's comments early in the week. You heard it with players throughout the week. And for as much as people say they get tired of the talk, pretty much all of the talk that we heard this week was that this was going to be a team that was much more focused, that had a chip on its shoulder. And you look at the scoreboard, at the end of the day, it was 52-0. And now, I know there are pockets of fans that said, oh, it should have been more. They should have won by 70. Or It's like, listen, let's not call this any more than it is. It is a, a clean, dominant performance against a bad football team. And this is the type of performance that good football teams have against bad football teams. So um, I think it kind of starts and, and ends there in terms of what we take out of this day. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't mean anything going forward. It's all about week by week. And you got to bring this momentum forward to Iowa. So if they don't beat Iowa or they don't play well against Iowa, well, guess what? This wouldn't mean a whole lot. But let's just say this was the first game of the season, right? This is what fans expected. This is what the team expected from itself. Play like you should against the teams that aren't that good. And that's exactly what Michigan did today. 52 nothing, 476 yards of total offense. The, their manhood was questioned after the Wisconsin game, and uh, Jim Harbaugh challenged his team. He said they weren't tough enough, they needed to hustle better, uh, play more physical, play more tough. He said that he was going to get the players in games that hustle all the time and play till the last whistle and realize they're never dead till they're dead, which means all zeros are on the clock. And uh, Harbaugh seemed fired up on Monday, and... The results followed suit. Uh, not going to go major into this and say, oh my God, look at what happened, but uh, the offense looked efficient. The tempo, for the most part, was better. Uh, the run game, it sputtered early on, but the offensive line in the second half definitely uh, started throwing Rutgers around a bit, and some longer runs unfolded. The quarterback play was pretty solid for the most part, and just all three phases of football, this was the one game so far this year to, you could say, okay, yeah, they did play tough. But as you said, it's always going to go back to, well, it was just Rutgers. So Michigan should use that to their advantage, continue to keep that chip on their shoulder because people are going to still doubt them going into next week and all the weeks that follow. I don't think that's going to change. Yeah, and I regardless of – what you thought about this team coming out of last week. I mean, they were still installed as, you know, that that Vegas line opened up as a 29-point favorite. It was bet down to 27.5. So regardless, like, people still expected them to come out and play a thorough, you know, at least at least blow out a bad team. 
and they almost doubled what that spread was. So, like I said, it is Rutgers, uh, but I think the biggest I think the biggest thing of all is that coming off of last week's game at Wisconsin, this team needed to see on the field in a game what the results are when they play a clean football game, when they execute at a high level, when they take advantage of what uh, their opponent gives them. This is real. This is nothing more to me than a confidence boost for them. If nothing else, just to see. Listen, we feel like we've been having pretty good practices throughout the week. For whatever reason, there's been a disconnect that we haven't been able to apply to the field. Today, Saturday, we were able to apply to the field, and we blew the barn doors off a team that has no business even, you know, like I said, being in the Big Ten. So, um, you know, as far as overarching thoughts, like I said, I'm not going to call this any more than what it was. It was a workmanlike effort. It was a, a chance to answer questions you had about your team. Listen, I do I feel better about their chances next week playing Iowa? Yeah, you do. You, you would expect that if they can carry this and not read some of the press clippings they'll get from the game, that it will they will continue to have a fire to them and an edge to them. Uh, but, yeah, compared to last week, yeah, you feel a little bit better about that game now. And it's funny because that game will be – we already know how that's going to go. If they – people are going to pile on if they lose and if they win that game we're not going to get too ahead of ourselves we want to talk about this game here but if they win it then people will just say that Iowa was overrated but I mean this is we talk about Michigan's struggles in big games next week is a very big game and I think that they answered they showed that I think that they have a chance to put a good week of practice together and be prepared for a game and a team that's physically probably going to be ready to maybe push them around a little bit more than Rutgers was but Let's get into some of the takeaways as a whole, uh, as opposed to our overarching thoughts on the game. I think the biggest change and the biggest takeaway from this game today was that Josh Gaddis is no longer calling plays from high above Michigan Stadium, where we're currently recording this podcast. He was down on the field. He was he was more of a collaborative effort. It was a face-to-face effort. I think before the game on Michigan radio, uh, he had sent something about, you know, these, these players – feed off of leadership and I can't be the leader I need to be if I'm up in the box so what we saw on the field was was a more decisive game plan a decisive performance a guy that you know you could see that fire on the field he got fired up after a few a uh, few flags a few penalties um, you know it could, I think it just makes that much more of a difference that um, your offensive coordinator was able to as players are coming off the field as your quarterbacks coming off the field kind of put your arm around him and say hey you did a great job there. What did you see? What did you like about that? What you know? Give that that face-to-face feedback um, because that's what and this is what kind of strikes me as odd is that to my knowledge, Gaddis has always preferred to be on the sideline, and they agreed. Him and Harbaugh had agreed this week that being on the sideline was was maybe something they wanted to try moving forward. I don't if he's always preferred to be there. I don't know why he just wasn't there to begin with. Now. I could be wrong here, but I think Jed Fish was up in the booth when he was the passing game coordinator. I know that Pep Hamilton was, so maybe they were just keeping that dynamic. Um, but it, it's clear to me that, if nothing else, how they did it Saturday is probably the way they should do it moving forward. And I think the biggest takeaway is that this is Josh Gaddis's offense. People have questioned that uh, Jim Harbaugh was in his ear and he was taking the reins already. But when you watch kind of the sideline demeanor and, and kind of how that operation was, and it was a cleaner operation, it was a, um, like I keep saying, more decisive. Um, 
it's pretty clear that Josh Gaddis is the guy. And like as you you know you pull out the binoculars, you look at him down on the sidelines. Jim Harbaugh is more or less kind of standing back and letting him run the show. Um, so like I said, I think that this is again. I'm not even going to say the the phrase that everyone will keep saying about this game. Yeah, it was Rutgers, but from a from a comfort level standpoint, from a a coaching standpoint, the the move to have Josh Gaddis down on the field clearly is something that uh, Michigan should probably stick with moving forward. Yeah, and from the optics, just looking at Gaddis' sideline demeanor, we've always viewed him players and media alike. He talks fast. He's definitely a high energy guy. He's a motivated 36-year-old offensive coordinator getting to call plays. And he's vocal, he's animated, and a guy like that, especially in his first year as the offensive coordinator of a new program, I think it's in the best interest for a guy like that to be on the sideline. And the thing about it is, it's not just my perception or Anthony's here, after the game, Patterson, Christian Turner, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Harbaugh, they all said good things about it. Christian Turner said he thought it brought energy, made things more personal, uh, said that Gaddis congratulating Turner after a touchdown showed Turner how they're all in it together, thought it was a cool experience. And the thing is, Gaddis, he's on the sideline every day in practice, so this isn't something foreign. This is already what they're accustomed to. The wrench thrown in, the irregularity, is actually has been on Saturdays when Gaddis has been in the press box. So this is something that uh, the players are, are digging, at least this week during this 40, 52 to nothing victory. But, uh, yeah, I just think his, his energy can have an impact. And, uh, as we know, just face-to-face communications, no matter what, are more personal. And I feel this is the correct way for Gaddis to coach his quarterback, to give a guy a fist bump. It, uh, it truly does echo the we're all in this together that Turner is talking about. And uh, Harbaugh and Gaddis are lockstep in agreement about this. Harbaugh said that uh, they both had the same idea this past week and said, uh, hey, let's do it, let's roll with it. And uh, that's what we're seeing now. So to be determined, uh, steady as she goes. But uh, I think no matter what, it's the right call. And uh, we'll see. Maybe it it will – pay dividends further down the road as yeah. well. And that's that's not to say that this is all of a sudden the magic elixir that turns no. the season around. But what were our biggest questions about this offense was that... The tempo. The, well, the tempo. Execution. execution. Yeah, that was it. Personnel but, changes. But Harbaugh we, said are better now uh, with Gaddis on the sideline. Sure. Yeah, everything was cleaner in that regard. Yeah. But I think something that a lot of people had kind of looked at as a concern was that, you know, we've heard since the spring how great this offense has looked in practice. But these first... You know, the first four weeks of the season or so, whatever that hype was, was not being translated to Saturday. And that energy was not there. And not to draw too many parallels to it, but all of a sudden you put that high energy guy back down on the sidelines, the energy was there. The execution was there. Um, A pretty thorough and clear game plan was there. I I know that the coaches can talk via the headsets and and things like that, uh, but it it just... the biggest question about this team is where was their other energy? And I think that being a young guy and, and having the energy he does, he is a high energy guy. He's a very positive guy. Um, I think that's, it's pretty important to have that on the sideline. And like I said, I think that's something that they should, 
certainly continue to do moving forward. But let's talk about the offensive approach as a whole. Obviously, when you look at the stats, uh, it was through three quarters. Uh, I think they had 26 rushing attempts and 25 passing attempts. You can, I mean, the, the fourth quarter garbage time throws that out of the whack because I think they ended up with 41 rushes on the day. But, um, you know, this is right now still a somewhat balanced attack. Um, but it's pretty clear that the passing game is, is the strength of this team, and, and they don't really have a running back. And a lot of this is the offensive line, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, they don't really have a running back that's capable of popping a big play right now. Uh, I think that they can get creative in the passing game to kind of offset that in short yardage situations. And obviously all the talent you have, you have the talent at wide receiver, at tight end, presumably at quarterback. We'll talk about Shea Patterson here too. But I think that if you take this as something to build off of, just take this as a reset button. This was your first game of the year. We're looking to build off of this performance. It's pretty clear to me that if this team's going to succeed, it's going to have to be through the air. Because right now, I just don't see it in the running game. Yeah, well, part of that is the health of Zach Charbonnet. He's he's definitely been limited. Only five carries today for 22 yards. He had 33 carries against Army. Only had a couple against Wisconsin. So the sooner the better in that regard that uh, Charbonnet gets back to full strength to where he can at least tote the ball 12 to 20 times, something like that. Uh, but regardless of Charbonnet or any of the other Michigan running backs, they need help. And that help comes with the offensive line. Offensive line performed better today, especially in pass protection. They're pretty good. They deserve at least a grade of a B. But uh, as far as the run game goes, not too many big holes uh, between the tackles or the ability for linemen to swing outside, get down the field north in a hurry, and open up lanes on the perimeter for running backs. So, yeah, I I do think that's still a bit of a concern going forward. Certainly they can improve upon, and they're going to need to if they're going to want to have a a balanced approach because uh, you don't want to have too big of a sway to the pass game that's just putting too much of an onus on Shea Patterson and uh, less margin for error potentially. But I do agree with you. They have more weapons uh, collectively depth-wise at the wide receiver position. So uh, for the time being, if the pass protection's there, uh, used your best playmakers when you got them. And uh, I would say that would be, as you said, uh, the wide receiver position and the tight ends. Patterson distributed the ball uh, pretty evenly today. You, you had a uh, Quite a few guys receiving targets before there was even the dead period where the the subs came at the end of the game. So, uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think that uh, now we'll just talk, kind of talk about the offensive line here. Um, you know, kind of jumping around from I know what we wrote down here, but yeah, um, the most fascinating thing to me about these four games of football so far is that for the most part. Pass blocking, now mind you, you can just burn the Wisconsin tape like across the board. But pass blocking for the most part has been pretty darn good. And Shea Patterson has had some pretty clean pockets to throw in. And that was obviously the case on Saturday. We'll talk about Shea Patterson here soon. What remains odd to me and something that I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around, especially given that it's such an upperclassman-laden offensive line, is that and mind you, we haven't seen the replay yet, but it does not seem like they're consistently moving bodies and opening enough holes for the run game. And maybe, you know, 
maybe some of that is there's a bit of a hole there, and a running back needs to juke his way into it. Um, maybe they don't have a guy that's capable of that. But you know, your longest rush of the day was a 15-yard um, attempt from Hassan Haskins that was in garbage time. Other than that, it was you know three, four yards at a time. I think they averaged 3.3 or 3.4 yards on the day. Um, that is a concern right now. And I don't know. I think the only way you can really fix that is by that offensive line playing a little bit better and being a little more physical at the point of attack. You would think if there's a day where you were, you know, let's just go back to, let's throw it back to, you know, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018. This is the type of game and the type of team where Michigan would run the ball like 50 times for 300 yards and just destroy you at the line of scrimmage. Obviously, the game plan is a little bit different. You're trying to work on that passing game, and you're trying to build off the passing game. But it's concerning to me that um, they just the offensive line. You know, John Runyon Jr. is a fifth-year senior. Ben Bredesen's a, a senior. Cesar Ruiz is a junior. Mike Onwenu is a senior. Um, I know you've got a redshirt freshman at right tackle, but a little bit, just a little too inconsistent in the running game. Uh, through the first, I mean, we're a month into the season now. It's the year is a third of the way over. People, you know, it's it's going by quick, and um, you know, you're going to play an Iowa team next week. That's, uh, I think you said this to me during the game. They're like Wisconsin light or a diet Wisconsin. Poor man's Wisconsin. Poor poor man's Wisconsin. Uh, in terms of the physicality they bring and, and the type of football they like to play, so it is concerning to me that uh, you know. You might be your your ability to be balanced might be hampered a bit by the fact that your offensive line's just not throwing around enough guys consistently. Okay, well we'll keep going here. Uh, actually, before we keep going, we're going to take a quick break. Talk quarterbacks. We want to talk about uh, Michigan's defense. There's a little bit of a concern there, even a got in a shutout. It's weird to say. And then I have some final thoughts on the young guys as well. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few seconds here. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we're back here on the Michigan post-game reaction podcast from Maze and Brew. I'm Anthony Broom, joined here by Trevor Woods. All right, we've talked about Josh Gaddis now. We've talked about the offensive line and what we saw in Michigan's 52-0 to dismantling of the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Uh, a lot of people have been referring to them as Piscataway High School. Uh, it's disrespectful, but still uh, maybe somewhat warranted. But let's talk Shea Patterson because he's a guy where his health has been in question all year. His ability has been in question all year. And 
I think today he responded in, in a pretty favorable fashion. You know, if, if the oblique was bothering his throws or hampering his throws, um, it seemed it was it was in a better spot. He was locked in. He played the best game, his best game of the season to this point. Uh, he had 276 yards on the day, four total touchdowns. Three of them were rushing, which was – I'm pretty sure he had four rushes for four yards and three touchdowns. Uh, yep. That sounds right. <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, got it done on the ground, got it done through the air. And it just seemed like, you know, regardless of what you think of him as a player and what his upside is, most of his problems in the first, you know, whatever it was, three or four weeks of the season was that the throws were maybe wide or high and and he wasn't decisive enough off the snap of the football. And I thought that in this game, uh, we saw a guy who, listen, yeah, he's going up against a bad defense, but he got a lot of guys involved against that bad defense and, and played pretty well throughout most of the day. Yeah, he did what he should do against a team like that, but this was his best game of the year, one of his highest passing yardage totals of his Michigan career, 276, and he didn't even play the entire game. Most throws Patterson made were on the money. He didn't hold on to the ball all that long today. He definitely got rid of it quicker on average. Uh, There was an interception that he underthrew a bit. Uh, It was kind of a 50-50 ball and uh, didn't go his way and was picked off, but uh, he looked decisive out there, uh, steady as she goes, but it it was definitely a performance by Patterson that showed a bit of promise within the confines of Josh Gaddis' system. The tempo was better. Uh, He seemed more in command of the offense. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, the wideout, said after the game that just as far as getting everybody in position and the right uh, protections and the quarterback progressions that Shea was lights out. And uh, I would kind of echo that. He he made most of the right decisions today. Uh, not many plays uh, were left on the field. And uh, it's something positive that we couldn't have said about Patterson after any game this season. He had the oblique injury on the first play of the first game against Middle Tennessee State. And since that point, uh, that game against Army – and specifically against Wisconsin, there were plenty of throws that you said, what was that? And they well, were it's way just, off. It's just amazing what happens when you don't turn over the football. That Especially too, when right? those, those, you know, this is the first game of the season that they didn't turn over or fumble the ball on the first drive of the yeah, game. Which three, three games in a row. They've all, most of his turnovers have been within like the first one to four plays of a drive. So when you just play a clean football game and, and take care of the football, you give yourself a chance to find some of that rhythm that just hasn't been there yet. So... It, it to me, and and people have been playing psychologist all week and throwing all these different takes out there. Like, really, to me, it's been as simple as just take care of the football and give yourself a chance because then you you know you get rolling from there. Um, there was one interception today and one that you know what, I'll take it ten times out of ten uh, down the sideline. We've, we've talked about how they need to get Nico Collins involved. They need, took a shot. Let it they rip. Took a shot down the sideline. Ball was a little bit underthrown, and mind you, Shea Patterson played a really good game today. Like you can't take that away from him. But the second he threw an interception, there are people on Twitter who are like, "See, see, I told you, it's Joe Milton time." And Joe Milton got run in this game. Yes, he did. We'll talk about that soon. But the ball was a bit underthrown. And but when you go back and you look at 
look at the replay, look at some of the pictures of it. Nico Collins has both of his hands on the ball. And if he takes that ball and kind of, you know, what they teach you to do in basketball when you grab a rebound is to hold it up high over your head so no one can swat it out or anything like that. Instead of doing that, he kind of brings the ball down towards his chest, and that gives the Rutgers defender a chance to make a play on the football, and he made a play. He made an excellent play on the ball. Um, I'm going to tell you this right now. If Nico Collins has single coverage down the sideline like that, I'm chucking that ball up to him every single time, and I'm taking my chances there. Those are one of those interceptions where I said, like, coming into the year, it was likely that Shea Patterson's interception numbers were going to rise because you would assume they would take more of those shots down the field. And that's something I'm okay with. That's a, you know, that's a, that's a gunslinger's interception. And, you know, you pin Rutgers deep in their own territory. So uh, it's an arm punt as well. So, like I said, more often than not, I'm going to like Nico Collins' chances in those contested catch situations. And I think I'm hoping that that's not something that they're scared off from because it didn't go right today. I don't think that's going to be the case, but uh, you know, overall, you look at Shea's performance. I thought the zip was back there on his throws. He was really comfortable, kind of when they got him out of the pocket and making throws on the run. He's not he's not a running quarterback, but he can make throws on the run, and I think that's something that um, you know, for the McCaffrey hive out there. I don't think that's an ability he has just yet when he does come back healthy. So, um, like I said, uh, the clean, po- clean pocket obviously helps. We need to see him do it against tougher teams. We need to see him do it next week against Iowa. But today was a good showing, and, and I think for the time being should quiet some of the more level-headed detractors. I agree, and they're going to keep taking the shots. I don't think one play is going to detract from that type of effort. I mean, there are longs today, a bunch over 20 yards, along a 22 to Ronnie Bell, along a 21 to Peoples-Jones, 26 to Nick Eubanks, 48 to Nico Collins, 22 to Tariq Black, 29 to Luke Schoonmaker, 23 to Giles Jackson. That's combining Joe Milton and Patterson's performances. But, I mean, they're throwing more than five dink and dunk yards down the field. They're, they're trying to push the issue, push the envelope, and uh, be aggressive. So that was good to see. This is the most aggressive we've seen Michigan's offense and the most aggressive we've seen Shea Patterson this year. Yeah, and I think they clearly – the focus this week was clearly to come out and send a message and, and be aggressive. And I liked – we didn't think we didn't know if they were capable of that, and that's not to say that they they figured everything out. And this is a Big Ten title team now, but at least for one day, for one week of practice, they prepared, they studied their asses off, and they treated this, you know, they treated this game with the respect that it deserves. And they they blew out a bad football team, and in the offensive effort, um, I think you you can't call it what it is. It was a clean, decisive performance wasn't an overly impressive important uh, performance wasn't one that really I think they left a ton on the table to be desired I thought it was good I thought it was workmanlike and I thought it was uh, for the most part pretty thorough let's switch over to the defense now uh, and let's get this out of the way as we've said throughout most of this podcast Rutgers is absolutely putrid and if I had a game ball to give out and I wrote this in the takeaways on the site Arthur Sikowski would get it because for simply for leaving Ann Arbor alive. Oh, my God. He was on the ground all day. Um, it was a dominant effort from the defensive line at Michigan. Uh, 
Listen, Michigan's defense put out put up a shutout, and we're not. I'm not going to overanalyze that. We'll go back and watch the film to do that. There was one little. If we're looking for things to be angry about, and you know, this is a Michigan, this is a Michigan site that serves Michigan fans. We're always going to look for things to be angry about. Wait for the other shoe to drop, so to speak. Really, the only thought time that Rutgers was able to do much of anything offensively was. What was it, Trevor? You guessed it, the crossing route. Um, something that's continued to plague Michigan for like the last six or seven football games going back to the Indiana game last year. At this point, to even harp on it might be moot or might just be something to not even talk about. Like We got to talk about it, but it may, it, it may be for naught because it doesn't seem like Don Brown's going to adjust his approach anyways. He said that as much, uh, so... Maybe we can't judge Michigan on its ability to guard the crossing route until they have a different uh, defensive coordinator. But I think what's concerning is that Rutgers doesn't have the horses that other teams in the Big Ten have. They have a couple pretty good, pretty good running backs, um, Pacheco and Blackshear. Those dudes, I mean, those guys can play, and it sucks that they're on it, stuck in a terrible football team. But when Rutgers is able to burn you a handful of times there over the middle of the field. To me, that's eye-opening, and I don't know how they can go back and watch that film and say, oh, well, we are what we are. That's fine. Um, that, that still bothers me. Yeah, it was pretty much all from Blackshear, the running back, who kind of doubles as a slot receiver. They motion him out there. Uh, for those who didn't see the game, he's kind of like a New England Patriots gadget back that uh, is the, the James White, so to speak, of the Rutgers offense, and he's by far their best player. The guy definitely has a future in the NFL. With that said, uh, Blackshear had seven receptions on 10 targets for 55 yards. Now, that doesn't sound like the greatest day by any means, but it uh, did net the Rutgers offense first downs and kept drives alive. And although Rutgers did not score any points today, there were a couple times that these crossing routes, uh, catches from Blackshear, led to them getting deep in the red zone. So, got to factor that in when you're playing other opponents. And even for Iowa next week or any team that plays Michigan this year, there's still that game film that exists from this 52-0 victory that you can say, hey, you know, we could do that. Let's motion the running back out to the slot, and we're just going to have him run as fast as he can across the field, dare Michigan, see if Michigan can cover this guy one-on-one in man coverage. Don Brown's defense, they play a lot of cover zero, cover one, man-to-man defense, and uh, there's just no built-in mechanisms for the most part to completely bottle up these crossing routes. So does that mean they should play more cover two zone, actually play two safeties back where they have good vision and they can cut uh, downfield quickly and take an angle to bottle up a crossing route and at the point of uh, catch to where it's just a five-yard gain opposed to a 30-yard gain or a touchdown. So, uh, yeah, if we're going to nitpick, that would be the pick to nit. (laughs) Yeah, and I think um, you know a lot of people. The concern is that you know even even if you're able to slow down some of these crossing routes, like when you play in Ohio State, because you know like they'll they watch film of Michigan probably every week and see what they're doing, so they'll continue to kind of exploit that. And people will say, oh, well, it won't matter. Ohio State can kind of out athlete them anyways. 
that might be true, just given you know the recruiting discrepancy between the two teams right now. But at the same time, you gotta at least switch things up and give yourself a chance. Like, play a little bit of zone and don't get completely cannibalized by it. Like, don't. Um, I know Don Brown's defense is is predicated on getting pressure to the quarterback, but if that pressure doesn't get home, you look up the score at the scoreboard and Ohio State's put up 62 points on you. Like what happened last year? So again, a nitpick, something something to keep an eye on moving forward. What about um, what about the positives, on? Do you got any got any positives? Uh, the positives is that I don't have any other negatives to That's speak good. about. Um, That's a good one. It was thorough. Uh, Cam McGrone. We'll talk about the young guys here uh, shortly. Um, Cameron Gowen is going to be a really good player. Dax Hill is going to be a really Quiddy, good player. Quiddy Pay had a very Quiddy good Pay day too. hadn't seen a whole lot of him this year, and then he came back in a big way. Aiden Hutchinson continues to uh, – that arrow points up. So defense, um, listen, you, you shut out a team. So I'm not going to sit here and harp on it. The fact that I don't have really any other negatives than that to say is the positive for me there. So before we close this out, uh, I want to single out a few of the young guys. Um Saw a handful of guys um, get some run on Saturday, even before garbage time. Eric All, who's a, kind of a tight end wide receiver that they're pretty they're pretty high on. Uh, to me, <laughs> that guy he was almost I won't say directly responsible for the first touchdown of the game, uh, that forty eight yarder from Patterson to Nico Collins. But he had he had a pretty sizable block right along the sideline that helped them spring that. Um, for a touchdown and then he comes back on the following kickoff and makes a tackle so that's a guy like that's an example of Michigan just getting its best best 11 on the field at any time and finding a way not worrying about preserving red shirts and things like that I think Eric all you know a guy that welcomes contact that's going to be a guy that we talk about maybe next year or the year after someone who's a really big part of this offense um Daxon Hill we kind of hit on him there briefly um, another ascending player has parlayed, you know, he's played pretty well on special teams uh, and he's kind of parlayed that into as he continues to get his feet wet um, more time on defense. We saw the most amount of Dax Hill that we've seen to this point this year on Saturday with the number ones played pretty well there. Cameron going, I just talked about, uh, about him started at middle linebacker. Another guy that like Jim Harbaugh said after the game, going to be a star. If he, he continues if he keep- to, yeah, if he continues to play at, at this trajectory, he's going to be a future star. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, when you talk about Daxton Hill and Cam McGrone, I'm just playing those guys and taking the growing pains from them because I think the upside of what they can bring, if it clicks and they figure it out, is a lot higher than you know what, what the downside would be of a mistake or a blown coverage or whatever. So um, I like both of those guys. The, the young guy we need to talk about the most, and people have been probably, people may have even scrubbed to this point of the podcast to hear about it. Joe Milton. After Dylan McCaffrey was knocked out last week, it was going to be the Joe Milton show in terms of who's the number two quarterback. And I'll be honest, I thought there was a chance that, like that Rutgers game a few years ago, if Shea Patterson came out and struggled against Rutgers like John O'Corn struggled a few years ago, I thought there was a chance that Joe Milton may have gotten you know, unleashed earlier in this game. Now, obviously, Patterson stepped up and played really well. So you didn't see Joe Milton until late in the third quarter. And what was interesting is that when he came into the game, he didn't come in with the second-team offense. They put Joe Milton into the game with the starting offense on that that drive. Um, It was the end of the third quarter into the start of the fourth. 
And I don't know if that was to get his, you know, just for him to get comfortable with some veterans around him or if they wanted to see what he could do. But, um, you know, it was bootleg city uh, in Ann Arbor today, and he scored a touchdown uh, on that drive. So that was good to see. I think the most impressive thing, though, was when the number the twos came in, Joe Milton remained in the game at quarterback. And then we started to see the arm strength a little bit. You, you, you can tell just watching him, things are still a little unrefined. Things need to be sharpened up. But the most impressive play of the day from him and, and really one of the most impressive offensive plays of the day was the howitzer, uh, the missile, the rocket, whatever you want to call it, that, uh, that he fired to Giles Jackson from 23 yards out. First career passing touchdown. Um, finally got to see that arm talent that people have been raving about. And listen, like, He's raw still. You can tell. He's still a little bit gangly, still kind of figuring things out. But, you know, he when if, if he's given the time, and like like I said, I think everyone assumes that Dylan McCaffrey is the future. There'll be a pretty sizable quarterback battle next year between McCaffrey, between Milton, assuming both of them are still here. I, like... I need my I need my quarterback to be able to throw the football, and I saw more today from Joe Milton throwing the football than we've seen out of Dylan McCaffrey in terms of arm talent. I'm not saying he's better, but I think the upside's a little bit higher there with him throwing the ball, and you know to see finally that the arm strength, the arm talent that people on the inside have been raving about the last couple of years was was pretty fun to watch. Well, a couple of cool things about Milton. For one, earlier this week, uh, Office Coordinator Josh Gaddis said on Monday, Milton came to him and was adamant that he wanted a shot, wanted an opportunity. And what that means is really he just wants to play, whether that's the third quarter, second quarter, fourth, first, starter, whatever. He just wants, wants the ball in his hand. Who doesn't when you're a quarterback? But uh, that just shows the fire and determination of Milton and uh, small sample size today, three or four, 59 yards, passing touchdown. He had the bootleg touchdown from one yard out. Definitely has some wheels on him. But it's, it's the arm talent, the, the arm strength and power. Uh, Christian Turner, after the game, said that Milton can throw from 80 yards. I seen it in person last year pregame at Columbus at Ohio State. Milton just farting around and threw one off his back foot over 80 yards into the end zone. Wish I recorded I didn't, but it's true nonetheless. But on that touchdown pass to Giles Jackson, it was such a quick, lightning-fast, powerful flick of the wrist. I actually thought that was going to be way overshot and on the main street, but it was not. It was a perfect pass to Jackson right where his hands were and uh, definitely one of the most impressive throws of the season, not just today. So... Uh, going forward, I think that's promising. He's still a bit uh, unrefined, uh, not polished, doesn't have that many live reps in games. But going into next season, at the very least, I think the quarterback position is shaping up to be a positive and not a negative for the Michigan football program. All right, one final thought on a young guy. We talked about Giles Jackson there. Uh, I'm almost wondering if we don't see a little bit more of him moving forward. And we talked about this a little bit off pod, but um, as this team kind of seeks playmaking ability on the offensive side of the ball, someone who can be kind of a gadget player, someone who could be a Percy a, Harvin, so to speak, a Chris Evans type Ooh, of like presence that, that this Chris team doesn't Evans. have right now. Um, I think Giles Jackson is he uh, another guy we talk about a true freshman as he continues to get comfortable with the his standing on the team you know he's listed as a wide receiver but he had a carry out of the backfield and uh, there was also a play I'd have to go back and watch the film but um, 
he was kind of used as a jet sweep decoy on a play in the first half. And I, I think there might be a gadget role for him moving forward um, if he's comfortable with that and, and they're comfortable in him. So I think that's something to keep an eye on as well. Um, before we wrap up here, uh, we'll just look quickly at Iowa. They won 48-3 to today against a team that's familiar to the Michigan, uh, Middle Tennessee State. So um, Iowa, Nate Stanley, 17 for 25, 276 yards, two touchdowns, no turnovers. Iowa ran for 351 yards on Saturday, which, again, it's against a bad football team or not a very good football team. Um, but that's a team that's physical and it's going to kind of get after it. So, um, I mean, we don't know what the Vegas line will be. I- I'd imagine – my gut says it will probably be like Michigan four and a half, um, I, because you've got to remember this too. I think that you know when you talk about point spreads, home team always usually um, you only get always get three uh, three points in favor of the home team in most cases. And that's more of an NFL thing, but college wise, I mean, um, I was ranked 14th uh, as of Saturday. Michigan's ranked 20th, so. I wouldn't be surprised if it was like a Michigan three and a half, Michigan two and a half. I think that Michigan will be favored because, um, and that means nothing. It's just a Vegas thing. A lot of rich people like to bet on Michigan. They're one of the most bet college teams there are. But um, I think that Michigan will be favored in this game, but slightly. But, you know, we'll go back. We'll watch what Iowa's done these first few weeks. But um, how are you feeling about this game now after what we saw from both teams on Saturday? Uh, better but concerned, and Michigan should be concerned too. They should they should always be fearful of an opponent. Uh, anybody, any opponent can punch you in the face, so always be ready to punch them first or deliver a good counter punch. And that's what Iowa is. They're a, a fundamentally sound team. It doesn't matter what names are in the back of the jerseys under head coach Kirk Ferentz. They're going to show up to play more often than not. They always have a good upset in them each and every year. Uh, their running game, their offensive linemen, tight ends perennially go to the NFL and do well. The defensive scheme is very, very similar to Wisconsin's. So, uh, yeah, it's always a concern playing Iowa, whether that's at their place or here at the big house. Uh, I do expect Michigan to win. I expect them to keep the positives going. Obviously going to be much tougher playing the Hawkeyes than the Scarlet Knights, but uh, that's my thoughts on the game preliminary. Uh, And they do have two common opponents, which is uh, interesting to say the least. Uh, Iowa beat Rutgers 30-0, so you've got 22 points, not, not that you can play the transitive wins game, but then um, they routed uh, Middle Tennessee uh, 48-3. You beat them 40-21, I think it was. So that's um, that's where we're at there. Uh, it's going to be, you know, don't let people say it's not a big game. Anytime you have two, a top 15 team comes to Ann Arbor, that's a big game next week. And like I said, it could be, you know, they might be 14th now and then lose a few games and, you know, if they end up not being ranked, people will say, well, that wasn't a big game. At the time, heading into next week, this is a big game. And the last time Michigan played a big game, they got their they got their, their asses kicked. To I don't have another phrase. That's what it was, thoroughly. Um, I think being at home should provide a decent lift. But, uh, you know, just get the win next week if you can. Um, and then get the win next week, go to Illinois, do something similar to them that you just did to Rutgers, and then – if they, you know, talking about going to a Penn State team on October 19th who um, destroyed Maryland on the road 59-0 on Friday night, if you could, I don't think we can talk about this team maybe turning the page until 
they go to Penn State and maybe pull off a win there. But at least for now, progress, a step in the right direction, and a chance to keep uh, to keep moving forward here. So that's going to do it for us. We'll get out of here. You can follow uh, Trevor on Twitter at Woods Football. You can follow me on Twitter at Anthony T. Broom. Follow the website at Maze and Brew. Uh, like us on Facebook. Like us on Instagram. Um, Maze and Brew Podcasts. We're on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. Wherever you get your shows, we're there. And if there's a place that you haven't been able to find us, let us know. We'll work on getting it there. But uh, subscribe uh, to Maze and Brew uh, with all of our podcasts. We're doing our Monday through Friday shows. Tech issues sort of plagued last week, sort of like on-field issues plagued Michigan football. But uh, we'll be back this week with five shows a week. Uh, Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you again next time.